Welcome to episode 183 of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. I am your host, Philip Slavin, Joel Penfield, still on paternity leave with his uh, brand new little boy and his beautiful wife. Very excited for them. Uh, so he's going to stay away for a little bit longer. You know, we want to make sure that he's doing well, the kid's doing well, and the wife is happy. Happy wife, happy life, yada, 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 all those other cliches and sayings. Uh, two great interviews today. One of them, Jim Cavale. The CEO of Influencer going to join us here in a little bit to talk about Oklahoma State's new relationship with Influencer and how that's going to help with NIL rights for student athletes and how they're already working together. It's really, really interesting. If you like marketing, if you like NIL stuff, if you like that kind of thing, it is a really interesting interview. I think you guys are going to like it. Before we get to that, my good friend Andy Mitz of Rock Chalk Talk, Rock Chalk Podcast, and... Uh, my show, the ten twelve. He is he is my Monday uh, usual guest and slash co-host with Jamie Steyer. Andy, welcome to the show, man. Hey, it's good to be here. We are going to talk a little Kansas Jayhawks today. I know that's your favorite thing. I know that nothing gets you up in the morning like the opportunity to talk about Kansas football, not basketball. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> football <laughs> is the thing. Uh, yeah yeah we're we're, we'll let that slide uh is it when we could talk soccer kansas is two and oh uh the the lady is it lady jayhawks do you guys use the lady part or just jayhawks the lady jayhawks yes they have gotten off to a phenomenal start this year and hey i wouldn't mind making this a soccer show but I, i i have a feeling that most of your listeners probably wouldn't uh stick around if we just talked soccer the whole time Look, we talk soccer on this show as much as I can. Uh, Cowgirls are 3-0 and after a huge win over West Virginia last week. Uh, in the closing seconds, got the uh, the golden goal to go up 2-1 and get that win to go to 3-0. and uh, Drop West Virginia, who looks really, really good, to 2-1. And, and I, I mean, I mean this honestly. Like, beating West Virginia gets them that tiebreaker. That's going to be huge. They've got Kansas coming up in a few weeks. Got a few, few matches between then. Obviously, we'll... We'll get our good friend Anna Beffer back on the show here soon and talk about some cowgirl soccer. I love talking about it. I think it's fun. The Lady Jayhawks, they are good. This is a good squad. This is, this is another one. Like, it's weird this year. I know. Texas Tech was the preseason number one pick. They're nowhere near that. Texas finally got a win in their third match over Oklahoma, who just played their first match and got a loss. OSU's at top, followed by West Virginia, followed by Kansas, TCU's uh, in 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 the national rankings, it's OSU and then West Virginia, or no, and then Kansas, then West Virginia, and then TCU. So it's it's weird this season. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so I forget who Kansas is playing this week. I don't I don't think it's West Virginia for no. They the get they get week. they get to play Kansas State uh, on the second. So on well, there's Friday. W. So there's a W. Yeah, it's a, That's nice. <laughs> yeah, OSU uh, traveling down to Baylor to face the Bears. They haven't won in Waco since 2011, so it's not an, it's not an auto W. Baylor's okay. Uh, I believe they are... Uh, oh, have they won a match yet? I don't think they've won. Yeah, I'm not They sure. lost to Iowa State. They uh, had a draw with Texas Tech, and I believe they had a, a draw with... Yeah, TCU. So they're like 0-1-2. Oh, oh Is it 0-1-2 oh, or 0-2? Oh, I always forget which where the tie. I think the tie goes at the end, so it's 0-1-2. Oh, Anyways... Correct. It's enough soccer talk. Let's talk some football. Kansas, Oklahoma State head to Lawrence this weekend to face an 0-2 Kansas squad. Um, Andy, I want to start with the thing that is most interesting to me, and that is the quarterback situation, obviously. Uh, coming into the season, there was a lot of questions about who would be the guy. 
Uh, we saw kind of back and forth in the opener against Coastal Carolina. And then Les Miles kind of surprised everyone. March 17-year-old Jalen Daniels out there against Baylor this past Saturday. And I got to be honest, that was that – was, I know that Kansas lost handily, but it was a bright spot for Kansas and a, and a, and a big positive takeaway from them. Do we expect him to be the starter on Saturday, I assume? And, and, and what should OSU fans expect from him? Yeah, he's definitely going to be the starter moving forward, barring any, any sort of injury. Um, or, you know, if something just happens that, that they decide it's best for his psyche moving forward, that he doesn't continue. Um, I mean, it's just one of those things, like coming into the season, it was kind of always a 1A, 1B by default in Thomas McVitie, um and, and Miles Kendrick. And the only reason that those guys were kind of the default is because nobody expected them with the COVID-shortened, you know, preseason to turn to a true freshman in Jalen Daniels. But all of the talk coming out of it is that Jalen Daniels is the perfect kind of quarterback for Brent, for Brent Dierman's system. It's, you know, it's everything that he wants in a quarterback. And Brent Dierman was heavily involved in getting him recruited to come onto campus. So it was always a matter of when they were going to turn it over to Jalen Daniels, not if they were going to get it to him. Um, I, I was a little surprised that they went ahead and gave it to him. I mean, if you think about it, he was in there for the last – Series and a half, basically, against Coastal Carolina, and he has been the only quarterback to play since then. So, you know, all the discussion after that Coastal Carolina game was about which of those two quarterbacks had earned, you know, the the ability to go ahead and start, and nobody really kind of considered that Jalen Daniels was going to be the guy to start um, moving forward. But it seems like they've gotten comfortable in the in the off week um, with what he was able to do and how quickly he was able to come, you know, move forward, and, and so. I would expect, again, barring injury, I would expect that Jalen Daniels is the guy moving forward, which is is really, really good for this team if you're looking towards the future, because yes, it's going to be it's going to be difficult this year. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a, a, a similar sort of topic, kind of all around. A lot of Kansas's, you know, skill players, a lot of the guys that they're really expecting to contribute heavily to this team, are super young. They're all true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Um, and so, you know, you see them making mistakes on the field, um, just like Jalen, you know, just like Daniels made some mistakes, but you know, it's, they need that opportunity to kind of work through it. Um, there wasn't any expectation for them this year anyway, you know, and, and all the COVID stuff has really, I guess, kind of given them a free pass to do whatever it is that they see fit. Um, you know, there's a small vocal minority that's already upset with less miles. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I've, I've actually seen the fire less miles hashtag going already on Twitter which is absolutely ridiculous um and so like you know this is this is basically a free year for them to try out whatever they can and and make it work and and for all of those freshmen to get as much playing time as possible so that they can get better because the expectation is all of these freshmen that they've recruited were being recruited were, were recruited to go over guys that were already on the squad and I think everybody here already knew it so it was just a question of how how long could they hold off these freshmen and we're seeing quite a few freshmen already breaking the starting lineup, already kind of getting in there and being big contributors. You know, it's just, unfortunately, they have a really long way to go until they have the experience necessary to go with the talent that will allow them to compete. Yeah, look, Les Miles wasn't brought in to win games right away. He was build, brought in to rebuild this program. And I would say for those who want Les Miles fired, like – stop just right. just go just go root for something else find something else to care about until kansas is winning some games and i mean like you know four or five games in a season and then you can come back and hop on the bag and be those people because look his whole job 
was not to become turn Kansas into a power. His job is to get Kansas to being able to compete in the Big 12 more often. And that meant increased recruiting, which he has been doing, finding guys like Jalen Daniels and and building this toward the future. And I look, Les Miles has been doing that. He's, he's brought some prestige to the program. I, I, as, as much as Kansas can have with, with how they performed on the field, uh, I will note, I forget, I was listening to the High Motor Pod, and as bad as Kansas has, be, has been, um, Arkansas has actually been far worse than Kansas. If you want to go look at like conference record and everything, Arkansas hasn't beat one of conference games in 2017. Anyways, or Power 5 wins in 2017. Point is this. Les Miles is doing the job he was brought in to do, and there's there's young talent there. There are guys that you look at and say this, that and like Jalen Daniels on Saturday, I was I was impressed with how he looked. Um, so moving from him, obviously we all know Puka, um, Puka Williams, stud running back for Kansas. How is, how has he looked? And from what I have seen, it's been okay. How much of it's him and how much of it is an offensive line that is, um, I think, I think not good would be a fair description. Well, the offensive line definitely hasn't helped. Um, but it, it honestly, I don't think it's been quite as bad as a lot of people think it's been just kind of taking a look at it quickly. Part of the problem, specifically for Puka, is that the way the Pretermans offense is set up, it's it's a lot of RPO, it's a lot of misdirection, it's a lot of, you know, trying to catch your opponent off guard. Um, they've been somewhat successful in that, but where they're most successful is when Puka's being used as a decoy to allow a guy like Dalton Gardner to get out for a big run. And so you'll see a lot of two-back sets where they're, they will both be on the field, and you know, it seems like everybody is selling out for Puka pretty much the entire game, at least in the, in the first half. And so when, it, when his number does get called in the first half, he's not very successful because everybody's keying in on him. And it lets Gardner get off to a really big first half. He's done that in the first two games. Gardner's played really well. He kind of calms down in the second half when teams have to take him seriously and start to focus on him a little bit, which allows Puka to actually get out there and do the things that we're used to him doing. Um, you know, the reason I think also that his, his stats are a little bit deflated compared to what we're used to seeing from him is because he did get injured early in the third quarter in that Coastal Carolina game. So he really didn't get much in Coastal Carolina. You know, he had, he had the, the 12 carries, actually had a pretty good showing for, for how much he was being focused on and how much they were trying to stop him. Um, you know, so much so that they let Vilton Gardner kind of run wild in that one for, for quite a while. And so, you know, it, it's not really his fault. Um, the, the, the offensive line definitely doesn't help in some cases, but for the most part, he's just, he's been the guy that everyone's keying on, you know, knowing that he is such a weapon, um, you know, they're going to, they're going to focus on him and make it a little harder for him to get that kind of production when everything else is not going perfect for him. Well, you kind of glossed over the offensive line stuff, but I, there's a couple stats, you know, Baylor kind of lived in the backfield, but if you look at Baylor and Coastal Carolina stats from the first two games, Kansas has given up a combined 22 tackles for loss and a combined nine sacks. Like I, I like Jalen Daniels, but I, I don't, I don't care how good Jalen Daniels is. Like I would argue this is going to be the best defense that Kansas has faced thus far. Yes. Even better than Baylor's Baylor lost a lot from last season. How do, how is the offensive line going to be able to hold up against Oklahoma state's pass rush? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, that's that's the simple answer. And and sorry, uh, I, I wasn't trying to say that their that their offensive line isn't an issue because it's definitely an issue. I think in the running game, it's not as much of an issue as a lot of people seem to think it was. 
uh, or specifically for Puka's production. But yes, the offensive line has a lot of work to do. They have made a decent number of strides uh, just in kind of the way that they're doing their protection. Of course, the problem is going from Coastal Carolina to Baylor, the step up in athletes they have is very significant there. Um, and from what I was seeing, like, you know, I, I didn't actually get to watch the game. I had to go back and watch the highlights. But from what I was seeing, the first, you know, three or four drives, the offensive line was holding up really well. Baylor adjusted some of the things that they did um, and kind of started to wear down on them, which obviously isn't a good sign because you're going against those levels of athletes probably for the rest of the year in each of those games. But I think as they move on throughout the season, the offensive line will get to be okay. But I, I'm extremely worried about this game. Um, you know, Jalen Daniels has shown the ability to kind of get out where he needs to, um, you know, and ha- kind of have some of that little pocket presence to really know when he needs to take off and run and not. But it's still a skill that he's developing. You can tell he's, he made several rookie mistakes um, in that game against Baylor. And so, I, you know, to, to, to get back to your question, I'm not sure how they're going to handle it. It's going to be difficult. He's probably going to get sacked several times. Um, the question is going to be how well can Brent Deerman adjust for that fact, get quick passes out, set up the scheme so that way they can't just sell out and come after him every single play. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I'm hoping that they figure something out. That's why Brent Deerman gets paid the big bucks for it. Um, but I've been struggling all week long to try to figure out what they're going to do about this. To be fair, Kansas currently ranked tied for 69th in the country in average tackles for loss given up, uh, 11 a game in two games, 22. Now, to be fair, like I said, Oklahoma State's currently tied for 62nd with Florida State. Mind you, OSU, we know OSU's offensive line has struggled. Florida State's an offensive line that is much maligned and ridiculed. Uh, OSU is tied for 62nd, giving up an average of 9.5 tackles for loss a game. So with that said, let's talk about the Kansas defense for a minute. Um, how are they looking this year? I know they lost quite a few pieces that were important from last year, but how are they looking? And and is this a past rush that you think will be able to get to whoever is under center for Oklahoma State this Saturday? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how well the pass rush is going to be able to get there. Um, what they've been able to do is really clog up the lanes um, in a lot of cases. A lot of the running that Baylor was able to do was getting into the outside. Um, and so, you know, they've been able to bring some pressure, but it hasn't been super consistent. Um you know, unfortunately, not only did they lose that, you know, senior-laden uh, secondary that they had last year, but they, they lost basically everybody that they had that really produced very well on that defensive line as well. Um, so they are, they are replacing a lot of guys. They are really still trying to get people worked in. I can't even really give you names of people to really look at because it's been a bunch of different people. Um, it hasn't been really anybody that I was super expecting to, to jump out quickly. Um, it's been fairly balanced, but in a way, there hasn't been anyone who's really been able to step up and wreak havoc. Um, that can work if the scheming is right, but it doesn't help if, you know, if, if they can basically just go one-on-one and block guys one-on-one, if there's not someone they're having to double team because he's just pushing them that much, it makes it a little bit more difficult for everybody trying to do their job. Um, and so, like, you know, I, I do think that they do some, some interesting things when bringing guys like Gavin Potter, uh, Drew Prox on, on linebacker blitz. Um, you know, they have different options that they can do to try to, you know, scheme stuff. Um, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult um, for the defense to really have a very fantastic showing this week. It's going to take, I'll think, a lot more of Oklahoma State's offensive line messing up than Kansas is just going ballistic from their defensive line. Yeah, look, to be fair, at this point, Kansas is, has, has racked up a total of 
eight tackles for loss, six of those against Coast, uh, against Baylor, surprisingly. Uh, just one sack and, and just one quarterback hurry. So it doesn't seem like it's that big a thing. But again, I, I would, you know, OSU's offensive line is, and it's getting better. It was much better in week two than week one. We will, we will give them the credit for that, but it's still a, a concern. So what is the strength of this Kansas defense? I mean, on, honestly, what's, what is an area of the field where you think Kansas on defense can give some Oklahoma State some trouble or is there? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you would think that the, weakness of the defense is going to be that secondary because of all that they lost, but they have um, Prunty who's, who stepped up. Corian Harris has come back. He's actually shifted over to safety. They have several freshmen that are playing very well in their defensive secondary, but they are also showing that they're freshmen. <laughs> um, Prunty himself had several big plays that really stopped Baylor drives in their tracks. One of them though, he had a, you know, a completely unnecessary, defensive holding that happened at the exact, you know, like as he was going in to actually break up the pass, which extended a Baylor drive, which really got Baylor's offense going at that point. And so, um, you know, if there is a bright spot for this team in terms of defensively, it is that secondary. It is, it is guys like true freshman fronty there, but I, I just, it's difficult to really, again, it's difficult to really pick someone out um, who is going to shine in this particular game because everybody who seems to have a lot of promise is so new um, you know, that it, it, it's really hard to say that they're going to do anything consistently. Um, they've had lots of flashes. Um, but if there is going to be big plays on the defensive end for Kansas, it is going to come in that secondary. Um, you know, Kansas' best hope of, of getting defensive stops is to essentially hope that Oklahoma State does a lot of throwing and that those guys can really kind of wreak havoc with either passes defense um, or start coming up with interceptions. They've been really close the last couple weeks here. Um, had lots of opportunities to get interceptions and just couldn't actually pull them in. So that's that's where you have to hope that it gets, gets going if you're a Kansas fan, um, is that Oklahoma State decides they need to do a whole bunch of throwing and those guys are really able to kind of um, put it all together and, and really make some big plays from, from the pass defense or interception framework. So Oklahoma State has won 10 straight in this series dating back to 2010. Uh, the, the last time this game was close... Uh, 2014 game in Lawrence, OSU escaped 27-20. Uh, the one before that, I recall, was the 20-14 one in 2012 when Charlie Weiss was still in Lawrence because I was at that game and it was ridiculous and there was a rain delay and it was awful. I'll just say this. this isn't. I don't want to mean like I got griped at for standing like while I was watching the game. People were like, we can't see. And I was like, there's there was plenty of empty seats and people that <laughs> I, I didn't understand. There's also a guy like, is there a guy, is he always there in a like superhero kind of like costume looking thing? It's very strange. I don't I Yeah, I'm not really sure. It's been Orange a while section. since I've been able to be at a game, but I wouldn't put it past. Because that wasn't too, this was 20... that wasn't too far removed from the Mark Mangino years. So I, I'm guessing that, you know, people that are like the, the, the super fans that are like that, were probably still around at that point. Um, now there's just, you know, I am sad sign people in the stands. <laughs> um, okay. So give me a reason that, and look, crazy things happen. Kansas has beaten Texas. Kansas has beaten TCU, uh, in the last few years. So crazy things happen. It's, it's 2020, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. So give me a reason that, that Kansas might be able to, if not keep this game close, pull off an upset this weekend. 
pulling off an upset is going to take two things. It's going to take the Oklahoma State offensive line having significant issues, allowing Kansas to get consistent pressure and really disrupting the defense or the Oklahoma State offense. You're going to have to couple that with, you know, with the Kansas State offense. I'm sorry, the the Kansas offensive line. I don't know why I said Kansas State there. Um, the Kansas offensive line really buckling down, giving Jalen Daniels some time because. Daniels can make those types of throws if he's actually given the time to get them set up. Kansas has a lot of very good skill position players. And so I think the one thing that's going to be the most important for them is giving Daniels an opportunity to get those skill players the ball. Um, you know, Puka can't do it all himself. Gardner can't do it all himself. It can't all be in the running game. They have to get that offensive passing game going. And so I think if they can slow down the, the defensive uh, line pressure from Oklahoma State just enough to give him a consistent, you know, four to five second window to find guys and get those throws off. Kansas can start moving the ball. They showed that quickly against Baylor before Baylor adjusted. Um, I do think Kansas has the opportunity to get off to a quick start here before Oklahoma State can really kind of buckle down and that pressure can start getting home. Uh, if, if they can make it so that that pressure doesn't start getting home until close to halftime, then I think at that point, Kansas can be in the game enough that they'll have that confidence going into the second half that they'll have a shot, um, you know. But, but it's going to take delaying Oklahoma State getting home with pressure as, as, as much as they possibly can. Like I watched that Baylor-Kansas game for a while, especially in the first half. And, I mean, look, Kansas scored first. It was, it was crazy, you know. Uh, and there was an opportunity to score. I, I forget who it was. The ball went right through his hands down the, down the sideline. I mean, and he had – he was going for for the end zone, and it was just, uh, and it seemed like, you know, Baylor kind of figured some things out and were able to to take over in that game once once their talent just started to overmatch Kansas's. But I mean, you saw some things from Kansas, especially with Jalen Daniels, that made you go, okay, well, well, maybe maybe they'll be competitive in this game. Maybe something happened, and, and it didn't. But you have to, as a Kansas fan, kind of look at this and go, you know maybe there's some potential here. Like maybe like I haven't seen a Kansas quarterback be that interesting and exciting in a long while. And again, right. I don't, I don't mind. I don't like being like, I don't want to be sound arrogant and cocky when I say, I don't see Oklahoma state losing this game. Can I see Kansas covering the 21 and a half point spread? Yes. Oh, because yeah. I think Oklahoma state's going to remain conservative. I do. I do. Um, like I, 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 I would pick Kansas to cover that because of the way Oklahoma State is playing. More, it's more about OSU than it is about Kansas. But like, I'm. It's the first time that Kansas Baylor game. I've, I've watched the Kansas game. And went okay. This is kind of fun. Now, once the game got out of hand, I I didn't. It wasn't fun anymore. But you know, I I would think. And I am curious from you as a as a Kansas fan and someone who's covered this team. How how do you feel about the team at this point when you knew this offseason there was going to be a step back? Obviously, if you're leaning young this is something that's going to happen. Like, how are you feeling about the state of the program right now in year two with less miles? So yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm actually glad you put it that way because this is, I think what any rational fan and any fan who has been through, look, I, I'm a Kansas city Royal fan. I went through the two thousands um, where they were absolutely atrocious and lived through that to then come and watch them win the world series. I went through horrible Kansas City Chief eras where they were absolutely just horrible. Um, you know, then they get Patrick Mahomes and then like now they have gone and they won a Super Bowl. So like I've seen several different teams and seen like how bad it can get 
and know the pain you have to go through to be able to rebuild that. But then how quickly it can if you get, if you get the right situation. Kansas rebuilding their football program was always going to be at least a four-year process. You know, um, the problem was when they hired Turner Gill, you know, it, everything fell, fell apart. Hiring Charlie Weiss was obviously the wrong move. David Beatty was supposed to be doing what Les Miles is doing right now, bringing in a whole bunch of freshmen. Yeah, there was, you know, you weren't necessarily going to win, but you were probably going to get your full four years to show something if you were to build it the way that they were supposed to build it. So bringing in a whole bunch of freshmen, setting the foundation, getting the scholarship numbers right, and then year four was going to essentially be the evaluation year. Um, you know, he, he shot that all to hell by getting a whole bunch of JUCO guys to try to win immediately because he felt pressure that honestly was high. Um, Les Miles has had to reset it at this point. And so that's what he's doing. You know, the expectation was always going to be, you show some flashes in year one to show what you can do with the talent that was already here, you know, with your new system. Um, and yes, there was a bunch of hiccups along the way, but we actually saw reasons to be optimistic. But that was a very heavy senior team and so you always knew you were going to be losing a whole bunch of talent coming into this year. Um, you know, he has brought in two very talented recruiting classes. He looks to be building another one right now. Their, their recruiting class for next year is like in the high forties, which is absolutely phenomenal for Kansas at this time of year. Um, you know, and it's only looking to go up with some of the guys that they have on tap here that are potentially going to be committing in the next few weeks. And so like everything at this point is about as good as you can expect it. Throw in COVID, throw in everything else going on. And I don't know how any reasonable fan could look at this season and say, you know, that even like one win wasn't necessarily an improvement. Like they could go winless this year. Like obviously the Coastal Carolina game looked absolutely horrible, but I actually talked with Thor Nystrom on my podcast, um, you know, and he was talking about just how markedly uh, different the, the situations were for Coastal Carolina and Kansas. Um, and because Coastal Carolina got their, their spring practices and Kansas didn't, that gave them a huge advantage in that game where if you're looking back on it now, it's at least understandable why things looked as bad as they did coming out of the gate there. And so if you're, if you're analyzing this as a rational KU fan, which, you know, I, I guess it's, it's tough to say that I, that any KU football fan is necessarily rational, <laughs> um, you know, kind of, kind of throwing myself a little bit of shade there, but um, you know, this is about the best that you can expect. You know that they're going to take a lot of lumps this year. But I am actually encouraged by the fact that they went to Jalen Daniels, that they saw enough there that they're willing to go to a lot of these freshmen and give them the playing time because it's going to be a rough year. You always knew it was going to be a rough year this year. Um, at this point, it's all about getting as much experience as you can for these guys and building for next year and the year after. Yeah. Look, Kansas's uh, 2020 class already has 21 commits. It's currently ranked fifth in the Big 12, 43rd nationally, which is the best in a long time. You got two four star commits. You know, wide receiver Keon Coleman and running back Devin Neal. Like, Les Miles is doing what he was brought in to do, and it's make Kansas look good enough to be able to get some of these studs to show up because that's been the problem for Kansas. Like, they'll have guys here and there. Um, I, you know, you've seen some of the some first team Big 12 defensive players, but the problem is you've got one or two and then a whole bunch of guys that wouldn't start anywhere else, and their backups have no business seeing the field against other big 12 teams. And that's, that's been the problem for Kansas the whole time. It's why you'll see them do well in games in the half and then just get run out the house in the back half. Cause they just don't have the depth to compete. So 
this is what he was brought in to do. And I would say <laughs> from that standpoint, Les Miles has been successful so far. We'll just see how that keeps going for, for Kansas. Uh, Andy, always appreciate you joining the show. Do you have a prediction for Saturday? I'm still trying to figure out what my score prediction is going to be. But at this point, I mean, I, I think it's going to be that that line is actually a good one at this point because, you know, Kansas could either get off to a hot start and Oklahoma State comes back, um, you know, and wins and it's a little closer than people expect. Or, you know, Kansas could try something and it just absolutely falls flat on its face. And, you know, the Oklahoma State defense gets home a whole bunch and Kansas can't get anything going and then it gets away from them. So, um, you know, it's one of those things. I, I do think that there's probably a little bit of room for optimism. I think that they'll get off to a hot start again, kind of like with what happened with Baylor. Um, the hope is that, you know, instead of floundering two really good scoring opportunities and only getting seven points instead of 21, that they actually get all of them this time. Uh, I do think that Kansas will get off to a hot start, but I don't think that Oklahoma State's going to be very far behind. Ultimately, I do think that they probably win by, you know, 20 to 24 points. Um, it's just a matter of how quickly it gets to that point and then they back off or, um, you know, if it's, you know, them kind of slowly pushing it and then finally at the very end, just a little spark to finish it off. I'd, ultimately, though, like if, if, if I had to, to bet on that 21 line, I probably would bet Oklahoma State, but I'd be worried about it. We did picks on our show for Thursday. Uh, I took Kansas to cover 21 and a half, and it was more about Oklahoma State than Kansas. I think OSU is going to – whoever is the quarterback is going to kind of keep things still conservative um, just with what you're dealing with, the offensive line and everything else. And and you got to trust the defense. The defense has been lights out through the first two games of the season. Um, do I think Oklahoma State wins this? Do I think it's one of those where it's it's weird because the score is lower than – the margins lower than you would think OSU would normally do against Kansas? Yeah, but I also think that just because a team wins by 17 or 20 points doesn't mean it wasn't a dominant win. It's just not – you just didn't run the score up on a, on a Kansas team like you usually do. So, like, I think OSU wins. I, I, I don't I, – people are like, cold takes exposed. I'm like, well, I, I'm not going to put Oklahoma State on upset alert in Lawrence. I'm just not going to. Like, if it happens, okay, but I, I'm not going to do that. It's not – I don't know. So yeah, Andy, I mean, the always, one thing I will say, yeah, Kansas usually has one of those games every year where they put someone on upset alert that re- they really have no business doing it. I just think it's a little early in the year for everything to be clicking for Kansas for this to be that game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andy, as always, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Look forward to having you back on the show uh, with us on the 1012 on Monday for our, our 200th episode. It should be some fun. Uh, for everybody who wants to check out the work you do covering the Kansas Jayhawks, both during football and more importantly, during basketball season, uh, where can they do so? Yeah, so I, I write about the Jayhawks over at Rock Chalk Talk and the, long, the Lane Grand Gauntlet. Um, and then I have the, the podcast, the Rock Chalk Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. All right. Andy, good luck to your team this weekend. Uh, should be an interesting one, and uh, we'll talk to you again when basketball season rolls around. Yep. So name, image, and likeness rights are one of the biggest topics in college sports right now. Uh, it's something that's not going to go away, and it's something that schools need to start either getting on board with or at least finding ways to make sure to set themselves up for success with it when it does take place. Oklahoma State uh, has taken that step with a new partnership the company called Influencer that they announced back at the end of August. Very excited to have Jim Cavale, the CEO of Influencer, joining us today. Jim, welcome to the show, man. Man, it's great to be here and love talking NIL and, of course, Oklahoma State. 
So just a little bit of background. Uh, you guys started this company in 2017 with just uh, with three schools. Now that I say just three schools, one of them being Kentucky basketball. That's a it's a pretty good feather in your cap to start off with. Uh, now you guys have over 100 different universities to partner with, 800 teams, over 30,000 athletes. That is a forget the fact that that's a quick rise. Like, how did you decide that this was what you wanted to do? Um, and, and obviously how, how have you been able to grow this company so quickly? Well, listen, you know, entrepreneurship is one of those things that is all based on problem solving. And, you know, this is my third company. I'm a former student athlete, played college baseball, started my first business when I was in college and I've been doing it ever since. And as most ventures, you have your, your, your knocks and your failures more than your successes, but you learn from it. And with this business, the problem that I saw was that athletes were gaining more and more followers on social media and really becoming truly their own media channels, but they did not have access to content they could post and really be the channel that they'd become. I saw athletes constantly stealing images with Getty watermarks and newspaper watermarks and you know screenshots and all these things that prove they couldn't get content and couldn't get access to it. And so with, with Influencer, I wanted to set out and change that. And schools had so much content they were shooting for their team accounts on social media. And most of it was just sitting in a hard drive somewhere, not being used. And so I wanted to connect the athletes with that content, along with any of the content that external media sources like Getty Images, USA Today, et cetera, are shooting so that when they walk out of the game, when they walk out of practice, their phone is getting pinged with an alert that new content's available on their influencer app. And they can just share it to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and be the channel they've become. So it's, uh, it's all about problem solving. That's what entrepreneurship is. Ideas are great, but the magic is in the execution. And Kentucky was kind enough to be our first client and let us learn through executing together with them as a partner. Auburn, UAB, and some others came on early as well. And uh, it's, it's helped us learn and build a great product that has created scale for our company and allowed us to make a real big splash now with athlete branding and, and name, image, and likeness. So I, obviously there's only so many details you can tell, but how did the relationship with Oklahoma State come about? Well, I actually was speaking in New York City uh, at the Sports Business Journal uh, event for intercollegiate athletics that happens every December. Um, and so while I was there, uh, I think after my talk was over, Chad Weiberg came up to me, um, who's deputy athletic director uh, for Oklahoma State, and just started this conversation, asked me a lot of questions about my talk, and really showed that he cared about the student athlete. And I wish I could say that that's the consensus across all of college athletics. That is the purpose of college athletics, to maximize the potential of the student athlete. But really is, is everybody's not looking out for the student athlete first. I think we've seen that in isolated cases, uh, especially over the past couple of decades. I think that's how we got here with name, image, and likeness, and blown out salaries, uh, you know, different expenditures and investments um, with all the money coming into college sports that, that have been questioned. Um, it was clear that Chad in Oklahoma State was putting the student athlete first and that he cared about what we were doing at Influencer. And it started a conversation that went back and forth for a few months and, and led to my sales team being able to have an opportunity to pitch influencer to his executive team. And, and, and that got us to where we are today. 
I think that's that's awesome. I, uh, one, okay, so uh, when I say I, I, that I work in marketing, I don't mean that like like I work in marketing and we are the same. Uh, more just like it makes me really curious. And I'm going to try not to ask too many super nerdy questions that normal people won't care about. Like I'm super interested in like how how does the relationship work between you guys and the university? You mentioned that that schools have all this this content that they've created, this video and these photos and this all this different stuff that just sits on a hard drive. And a lot of it, I think, doesn't get used. How does that relationship work between you and the school that you're able to to help make sure that that gets to the athlete? And and do you how do you work with the athletes to to help them decide what's best to use, or is that just pretty much on them? Yeah, listen. I mean, at the end of the day, before we existed, student athletes had social media channels. They had social media channels that collectively outweighed uh, the total audience of the team account. So, you know, that, that already existed. Student athletes on average, uh, a team of student athletes have two to three times more followers than the team account on social media. Student athletes were already asking the staff all the time. Um, so, so those two things were already in play, big audiences for the student athletes and a desire from the student athletes to get content. And number three, I met, and I mentioned it, you restated it. Teams were already employing staff members to shoot a ton of content every day. It's like a documentary crew following the team around, doing everything, workouts, traveling to playing the games, to practicing. So those three things existed, the content, the bigger audiences for the student athletes and the desire from the student athlete to the staff to get that content. All we did was say, hey, university, team, if you want to reach more people and you want to save time fulfilling the request from your student athletes to get them content, we can help automate the process. And oh, by the way, we can track what content they share, how many people it reaches, and show you that most of the people it's reaching are fans and recruits who you exist to communicate to. And we can do all this with one system it's set up for you to dump content into, use facial recognition, number recognition to tag it, sort it, so that it ends up on the phones of your student athletes. And just like Apple tracks every play a song gets, we can track every share those pictures get, where it gets shared, who it reaches, so you can see the impact it's having. And so that, uh, that technology that we created was just tapping into those existing things that I mentioned. And it allowed us to sell a product directly to the school that's priced based on how many teams and athletes are involved. So it's $10,000 to $55,000 a year, depending on um, how many teams you actually onboard into Influencer. And um, you're reaching recruits, you're reaching fans, you're being able to show recruits now a student-athlete experience that they care about because they want to know about athlete branding and how you're going to help them. And you're saving your staff a ton of time especially in an era now that's all about do more with less because of COVID and shrinking budgets, having technology that can do things to make up for the loss of human resources is going to be even more important. That's another thing we play into. So um, that, that's really how we, we put it together. And one other thing is, is these schools are credentialing a ton of external media to come cover these games with photography and videography of their own. And we give those external media sources, the ability to put content into influencer as well. And schools can add their content for an extra fee, um, which gives them the ability to have content from outside sources as well. So Atlantic records, music, we have the rights to that music, Getty images, all the 
pro alums for Oklahoma State that have their photos from their, their NBA or, you know, you take a Marcus Smart, all his content is being shopped by Getty. We have access to that. Now Oklahoma State can tell Marcus, hey, if you want the influencer app, you can get pictures from every game here in the playoffs and the rest of your career free, and you can share them to social media. That's a big value add to an alum, and it now engages him into their influencer account when they want to ask Marcus to promote the program. So these are all things that having content in influencer and having these athletes on your account can really create an opportunity to help you do. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm sitting here like blown away by this idea and concept and what you guys do. It just sounds like the coolest, like the simplest concept, like idea, but it, it's so complex and so interesting. And so I I, I think this is super cool. Uh, I am I am curious, like how much do you guys do as far as actually helping the players, or is it just providing them with a resource that they they didn't have before? Do you guys work with them to try and help them? kind of learn what works and what doesn't and, and those kinds of things. Yeah. So Oklahoma state is actually one of the first universities across the country to pilot our NIL suite. And our NIL suite is an add on to the influencer core product that produces social media audits for all the key players on their basketball team, their football team, uh, their women's basketball team is also a part of it. And so each student athlete can see what they do well, what they could do better who their followers are, what type of messaging will resonate with those followers, the top three things they need to do over the next 30 days. And then our staff does calls with these key athletes on a 30-day basis to check in with them and show them how they're doing versus what we showed them and the plan that we showed them to, to actually follow. Um, so the, the aspect of education, whether it's these audits that our system can produce, or we actually have video education where I do a Zoom talk to the team, um, really teach them the basics of building their brand. But we also have quick videos that they can get each week that give them a tip. Um, so there's education in that regard as well. And then lastly, for the coaching staff, the coaches, a lot of them are old school. They want to they wanna focus when they think about recruiting. They want to focus on the X's and O's and the athletics part of it, the academics and the major and the program that they're, they're selling to that student athlete. And then the facilities and all the things that they have, the facilities, those are all great. And they are a part of the arms race, but brand building and NIL is now part of the arms race too. And so we're packaging up the best brand growth stories that take place at Oklahoma state, the data of, Hey, student athlete X showed up on campus, you know, Cade showed up on campus with a following of X. And when he leaves, he's projected to leave with X and that's worth this much to him when he's able to start using his NIL and actually doing advertising deals through his social media, we want to package those stories up um, so that coaches can show recruits the brand impact, the brand effect of Oklahoma state. And so I think the cowboy brand effect is going to be something that we really educate coaches on selling in the recruiting process, just as much as we're educating student athletes around social media and NIL through our platform. But those are all components of this NIL suite that we just started piloting with uh, about a dozen of our hundred plus college athletics partners and Oklahoma state added that as part of the deal that they put together with us because they see the value in it. So I'm curious, you know, obviously you've got all these different schools and, and some at, at various levels. What, a, what about Oklahoma state kind of maybe sticks out to you or, or is, is different or you think it provides value maybe separate from other schools or that, that sets them apart? 
I got to say the content team is incredible and they have set a whole new bar when it comes to announcing a partnership with us. The ability they showed to produce amazing video content, um, engage their head coaches into interviews with me and my marketing team, but also in the content they put together to really talk to the world of recruits and fans about how this matters and why they're doing this and why they're going to invest in their student athletes to this degree. Um, I, I've, and we, we do have new partners and existing partners who we've been with for years shouting from the rooftops, but not to the degree and with the sophistication of knowing the market like Oklahoma State showed. So that's something that really stuck out to me. And I can't wait once we've been working together for a while, we're going to have some awesome case studies. And I think we can produce some really awesome content together because of that. I know like already uh, they've uploaded you know, 15 videos and three galleries to football athletes. And there were more than 800 pieces of content uh, that was downloaded and shared uh, by athletes in the first couple weeks. Um, and so, you know, they really just get the content game and the fact that they're producing it to scale like they are and customizing it for guys like Cade and some of the star athletes just shows a separation between them and, and a lot of the others in the market. Yeah. Like I, it, you, you can tell a difference in the kind of stuff, not just that the school's putting out, but the, the athletes are able to put out individually. And I, I would, I would say that as in, in big part, the relationship with you guys that they've been able to do that. Um, yeah. And there's a, there's a really good interview you have with, with Mike Gundy up on, uh, up on your site in the blog section. We'll make sure and, and share that for everybody who wants to check it out. Um, let's just, Real quick, for everybody who is interested in learning more about Influencer, um, you guys do, you blog, you've, you've got a podcast, you've got interviews with, with Gundy and, and, and other coaches from other schools. Uh, where can they where can they go and check that out? Man, let's keep it easy. Just go to inflcr.com. That's how we spell Influencer. And you can uh, go to our blog and just there's boatloads of content. We practice what we preach. So we have a podcast where we interview head coaches. Uh, like Mike Gundy um, and, you know, athletic directors and other college athletics executives on their stories and really showcase them. We also have case studies with athletes, coaches, and teams that we serve to really give you the gist of what we do and show the impact it's having in the market. And there's a lot of other great content on there too. And you can follow us on social media as well at INFLCR on Twitter Instagram, uh, and, and, you know, those are both great places. And then for me too, I, I try to practice what I preach to the athletes with how I do social. So, uh, I'll give you a link to my social, but I'd love for you to follow me as well and connect on what we're trying to do to really be the category Kings for, for athlete branding. Yeah. I love the stuff you guys are doing. It's really, really interesting. Uh, and it's also just, it's nice to get some insight into to what sets Oklahoma state apart. I, you know, you can see the content and like it, um, but it's, it, unless you're digesting content from everyone, it's hard to know how, how your stuff compares to other people. So it's good to know that OSU is really doing a good job of, of creating quality video and, and imagery and, and everything else that they are for, for social media, for both the teams and the players. Well, and, and here's the thing is social media is interesting because there are episodic moments that make you, but if you just, if you just have those moments on social, it's not enough. So what do I mean? So you got to have this compound effect 
of daily and weekly storytelling if you're an athlete. You should be, especially with Instagram stories, you should be using that daily if you're a student athlete. Um, you should really be letting people into who you are, not just as an athlete, but also beyond that, right? LeBron always says more than an athlete. There's a reason that matters to people and resonates with people. They want to know who you are and what you're about. Um, and so you got to use that on a regular basis. But that being said, the way that this really, you know, produces this this huge, massive shift for the program is the team does the work on and off the field. And they make that big moment. They have that big win. You know, they, they win in Bedlam, right? And it's a big win in Bedlam. And that moment now is a situation that the athletes and the coaches and everybody was ready for on social because influencers in place, because the content's in their hands to make the most of it. And so now it's just a, not just a moment that passes. It's a moment that creates a shift in recruiting. It's a moment that creates a shift in the program that we've seen in a lot of our partners. I mean, Auburn last year when they won that Iron Bowl, that was a huge moment for that program. And I can tell you that Derek Brown is still, is still leveraging last season now as an NFL pro in many ways where he's been able to really realize uh, monetarily. And so those are the kind of things that happen. And that's what college athletics and building a program is, just building blocks. It's big milestones and steps. But missing out on it in social media is something big to miss out on or big to capitalize on when it comes to recruiting, especially, but also athletes realizing more value. And so I think like the things that lie ahead this season in football are going to be fun to watch because it's good. It's a good team. They've got the opportunity to, to have a big season. I know they started a little slow, but ultimately the way this season goes, they're going to have an ability to capitalize it even more so because of what we've set up together between influencer and team. So I am curious about something, you know, when we, when we talk about sports, we've mentioned both football and basketball, and those seem to be the two that you, you really see the most following for, at least collegiately right? pros. You can get more with baseball and, and, and NHL and things of that nature but with college, the, the big money makers are the football and the basketball, but they're, they're so different. You know, basketball is so much more about the five guys whose faces you see on a regular basis. Football, everyone's wearing helmets and outside of the quarterback, you know, you you know some guys, but it's not like basketball. How does how does how do you guys handle the differentiation? Like what is it from a social standpoint that differentiates how best to help a football player versus a basketball player? Yeah, I think that each sport is different. Basketball is definitely the most brandable sport there is if you just generalize because of the fact that you can see their face and there's less guys and girls and, and there's more of a spotlight on them in men's and women's basketball. Um, but, you know, there's a lot more content being shot um, in some of the other sports and you will see outliers. You know, you'll see as we start to do studies for our partners around NIL we look at who are the biggest influencers in their student athlete network. And there's a women's tennis player uh, or a women's gymnast or uh, a baseball player um, who's an outlier. And what you realize is it has a lot less to do about the sport and a lot more to do about the athlete and the ability for the athlete to have sophistication, to understand social media and know how to game it. And what that means is that means they post often, 
They post with variety. It's not just about them athletically. It's a lot of the other things that make them a person. They know how to tap into markets outside of sports, but they use sports to get into them. Video games, dancing, music, things we've seen athletes tap into the audience using sports to be the hook, but then tapping into the audience beyond sports with that specific thing. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's also something where you got to show humility and be bigger than the cool person who won't ever comment back, won't share a story on Instagram that they've been tagged in, won't, you know, um, you know, if a fan tags them in a post, won't, you know, you know, engage with the post. Instead, it's the athletes who understand that they can engage every time they're engaged. And sometimes proactively, they can engage as well. Those are the athletes that get it. So you take, you know, take a basketball player at Oklahoma State, really, you know, celebrating Marcus Smart during the playoffs. Like Marcus Smart's going to probably reshare that post. And that's going to open that athlete up to Marcus Smart's audience. And so that's an example using the connection of both being Oklahoma State, uh, you know, cowboys and coming from the same alma mater, but using that connection to then tap into each other's audiences. And these are the things that it takes some humility, it takes some creativity, but it doesn't matter what sport you play to do it. And that's, that's the big thing that I see across the board uh, with, with network because we have women's gymnasts. You know, we have uh, softball and women's tennis and field hockey and a lot of these other sports. And the outliers just understand social and how to post frequently and with variety and know how to engage their audience. Yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, that Oklahoma State's had their fair share of outliers outside of football. But you think to, to Sam Show from softball from a, from a few years ago and, and you think to Matthew Wolf from the golf team and, and things of that nature. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense of it's less about the sport and more about about the athlete and the player. Because, I mean, you, again, we've I've had conversations on the podcast about NIL before and it's like it's, it's not just about your quarterback. Like if you're in Stillwater and you're Matthew Wolf or Victor Hovland when you were playing golf and winning a national championship, like – that's a that's a big deal in town, and it may not have the impact of say the Heisman winning quarterback, but that doesn't mean that you don't have value, which I think is such a big deal and it's such a such a big important thing when it comes to the NIL stuff. And I just it's really interesting what you guys do and and how that can be used to help help these student athletes out when they finally get the opportunity to to make some money off of themselves, like you know they frankly should be able to. Yeah, and listen, like NIL isn't just going to be the twenty five hundred dollar per post young man or woman, it's going to be the $20 gift card that they can now get from a pizza place in town to promote the pizza place. And that's not allowed, but it will be. And so every single student athlete should be able to make something off of their name, image, and likeness. It just won't all be big money. And you probably won't hear about all of it, but the point is, is it opens it up and we're going to all learn and I think we're going to see what part of the regulations the NCAA pushes out uh, is too limiting and what part works. And we're going to adapt and grow. And it's a, it's a new era. But it's going to be one that coaches and staffs are going to have to learn about. And they really should be learning about it now because they're going to have to recruit around it. It's going to become a big part of what they sell in their program. Jim, this has been awesome and a lot of fun, man. I, you, you have been a lot of fun to talk to. This has been a great topic to discuss. I just find all of this incredibly interesting. Um, again, everybody, do uh, do yourself a favor. Go check out Influencers, I N 
flcr.com. You can find them on, on Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, we'll share that interview with Mike Gundy. I think it's worth a listen. It's about an eight-minute video on YouTube, but um, it's it's definitely worth a watch. Um, man, I, I look forward to to seeing to learning more about you guys and, and seeing all of the great content that Oklahoma State athletes are able to share in, in part because of uh, because of the work you guys are doing. Yeah, Philip, really appreciate you having me on. And and obviously, we'd love to give you a, a, a wrap up after the first year of this five year partnership when we have some some case studies and examples to really break down so you, you and the fan base can really understand the, the impact that this partnership's having on the student athlete and ultimately the Oklahoma State brand. Yeah, we'd love to do that. Absolutely. We'll have to have to do that here the next year. I think it would be just personally like the stats and the data is so intriguing to me. Um, I, w- I would love to hear some of that stuff. So we'll try and get you on again here, here after a while and, and talk, see how things are going with OSU and, and how it's going for the athletes. So again, thank you for your time today, Jim. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you.